This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Foster Report on Joy Drive with Dean Warren. Richard Foster, what have we done to our friends in China? Well, what has Scott Morrison done? I mean, many are saying Scott Morrison's kicked an own goal with this overreaction to the uh, the the tweet from China about uh, Australia or the image of, um, or the I should say, the manufactured image of an Australian SAS soldier holding a knife to the child at uh, the throat of a young child. Scott Morrison was quick to issue quite a stunning rebuke, expressing his out- outrage at the image. Many would agree that it was outrageous, but others say that. Uh, the well, well, it's an actuality. The image was tweeted by a very low-level Chinese official, bringing out such outrage from an Australian official, no less than the Prime Minister himself, has mm. basically played right into China's hands. So, really, China is now sitting back, having a bit of a giggle, and saying, uh, "Gee, that got him going." I've no doubt that the image was outrageous, and I'm sure, mm. and uh, it's entirely possible that uh, Scott Morrison was warranted in his level of upset. But the thing is, it wasn't on par with his level of upset at the accusations levelled against the SAS soldiers. Yeah, I think this raises two things. I mean, the first is quite right to be outraged about the image. It was an outrageous image. But if the Prime Minister is going to respond to a a low-level Chinese official, is that disproportionate? And might it have been better coming from the DFAT Secretary Mm. or perhaps even some more moderated comments perhaps by the Foreign Minister? That may have been more measured. Um, the other side of it is that you're going to that very well-placed point about uh, what he had to say about the allegations against SAS soldiers overall. Um, it, this goes to the fact that Morrison still plays to a domestic audience every bit as much as he plays to an international one. Mm. And when we uh, when when we talk about Scott Morrison and the domestic audience, it's not just his fan club. It's those that may not especially like him but might tolerate him and then, of course, those that just don't like him at all. When he... Uh, response to China um, quite aggressively like that, or at the very least assertively, it gets the country behind him. You know, Mm. it gets a lot of people, not everyone perhaps, but it does get a lot of people going, yeah, you show them. You know, and again, this is is very retail politics in in the way that Scott Morrison does actually do very, very well. And the other thing is uh, he's good at turning us into the victims out of something, you know, there are 39 Afghans that were murdered by Australian troops, according to those reports. So, but he's Mm. turned it around and said, how dare they do a, a tweet on on us. And I don't know if you saw Sean Kelly's piece in The Age today about um, five years ago, there was that refugee on Nauru who died after pouring petrol on himself and setting himself mm. alight. And Scott Morrison then turned the narrative from the poor refugees to us as the public being played. This, uh, well, yes, it is, Warren, it is. And it goes to this same, in both those examples, and no doubt there's more, it goes to this underlying point that Scott Morrison is very quick to position himself as the person who is uh, arguably, effectively, sticking up for Australia, sticking up for the rest of us, you know, being being the champion of our defences. So um, you are right. He can, he can turn it and spin it very, very well, which is why I say he does play very effectively to two audiences here. The domestic one, actually, very, perhaps arguably, selfishly is the most important to him because we're the ones that vote if charlie ebdo taught us one anything it's that images can be very impactful he couldn't have just sort of flicked it off and said oh that's just a a drawn image there's nothing in it like you had to respond but yeah it was an extraordinary um overreaction i thought 
Although it, it was interesting to see the um, one of Australia's senior, senior Chinese officials, the deputy consul out the front of doorstop last a uh, few days ago, saying, "Oh, look, it was you know, it was, it was just a bit of artistic license, <laughs> nothing to worry about here." Having a bit of a chuckle about it again, kind of throwing a bit of uh, a bit of fuel on Scott Morrison's flames there. <laughs> and, and, well, as if it's nothing to worry about. I mean, sorry, but you know, th- this is this is uh, for all intents and purposes a Chinese government's tweet of this doctored image, you know, mm. depicting an Australian soldier in the worst possible of, of circumstances. Mm. You know, hardly something you can just bat away as a bit of artistic licence and nothing to worry about. Indeed. But how, how could this, because this now m- might have ramifications for trade and it's certainly not helping issues more broadly with our relations, how could it affect the man on the ground? Like, how, how's it likely to impact us? It's hard to say. I mean, what we do know this week is that the government will get through its foreign relations bill. It'll, it'll get passed by both houses in this, the final sitting week of the parliament for the year. Um, and what this bill is going to do is basically give the, uh, the, the foreign minister the right to veto um, deals with China by um, other players within our country. So this is state governments, local governments, even universities. Their, their business deals with China. So think Belt and Road here. Mm. Think Belt and Road. And, and think the enormous... Um, uh, economic partnerships that universities have had with China, with joint campuses and things like that, um, and research centres. All these could be, well, can be vetoed under this um, uh, once this Act passes by the Foreign Minister. So the question now will be, well, will they actually use it? Will they actually use the power of veto? Or is this really just a message in and of itself that, well, you know, we could, if we wanted to, be careful? Because I was reading today that wheat could potentially be the next export that is hit by the Chinese. So would the Prime Minister risk vetoing the Belt and Road and therefore our wheat exports? Uh, yeah, again, probably playing more to a domestic audience with this than anything else. Right. You know, it's, um, I think anyway, it's it, it's more like, yeah, it's a, it's a trigger that's there if you need to pull it, but I don't think you know, there's any immediate intention to do it. It's there if they need it. Um, China, I think, is is the bigger worry to us, I guess, as you're mm. suggesting there, Warren. You know, if they're going to go targeting wheat as the next industry, I would be very concerned about that. One interesting thing to point out, though, is iron ore. Everyone's very concerned about iron ore, the biggest industry um, that we have relying on China. Um, we have to remember, though, that, look, China is, China's economy has been hit like many others around the world by COVID-19. They're, they're now responding to that in much the same way that we are, with enormous um, stimulus spending. They're doing enormous infrastructure builds. And guess what they need for that? They need a lot of steel. You know, you can't do it without a lot of steel. So they're not going to get this carried out without Australian iron ore. Where else can they go? Well, they could probably go to Brazil and get it. But their foreign relations with Brazil are certainly no better than what they are with us at the moment. In fact, arguably a little bit worse. Um, and if I was if I was in charge of the industry in Brazil and they were backing Australia out of it, what do you think I might do to my prices? You know, exactly. I, don't, I don't think it's really going to. I don't think it's really uh, an intention of China to go messing with their iron ore industry too much. But you're right to point out there's plenty of others that they can tinker with. Am I overly cynical, Richard, to think that when, you know when you mentioned that the Feds could come in and uh, with these new foreign policy laws take. Uh, negotiations that Victoria has already had with with China and override them. Am I overly cynical to suggest that when uh, ScoMo was just handing out cash to everybody willy-nilly, not willy-nilly, but kindly, um, that there would be strings attached, like the COVID relief, all that money was uh, approved and out quickly. But is there strings likely to be attached to that, to the states? 
Oh, far be it from me to join in this level of cynicism, <laughs> dear. Goodness me. <laughs> this is really scraping the bottom of the barrel, isn't it? Uh, now, no, I don't actually think that they were expressly conditional. I think this is... But the, the inference in that, though, is that this was a bit of a slap on um, on Daniel Andrews. And, yes, there's no doubt about it that it is. You know, the, uh, the principle of, among Australian states to sign up to Belt and Road is, of course, Victoria. Mm. Um, and it was under Daniel Andrews only two years ago. But, interestingly, at the time. That was supported by the federal government. It was supported by the trades minister. It was supported by the prime minister himself. So it's it's not so much that they uh, that the prime minister or the trade minister now, now say, oh, no, 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 we never said that. No, 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 they, they don't deny it. They just say, well, the game's changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's we don't know that it's any uh, it's such a good idea anymore for Victoria to be doing this. I still don't know that they're going to pull the trigger, though. That's the other thing. Rich, yeah. Richard, when do we get to a point where, so we've had wine impacted, barley and several other industries, when do we get to a tipping point where the Prime Minister says, OK, now the pressure internally and domestically from these industries is too great and we can't risk anymore because it's going to impact his, you know, uh, standing with the community? I think that's that's a very good question. It's a question a lot of people are asking. What is the threshold and when do we reach it? Mm. Um, look, the, the worst thing that Australia can do, and I'm, sure, I'm quite sure the Prime Minister and Foreign Minister are well aware of this, the worst thing Australia could be doing at the moment is backing down to China. Um, you don't back down to a bully. I know that's the line mm. that's getting trotted out, but it is actually correct, and it's correct in, re- in respect of China. Um, if you do that, they will just go harder. So you can't do that. Mm. What you can do um, is, is start well, you know, the, the game or the conversation certainly has to change. And this is where, you know, you, the foreign policy wonks really get their heads together. Uh, and that's what you need at the moment. You you need probably, you know, some sort of very lightweight token gesture to say, look, you know, we're, we're not up for this continuing, but, you know, we both realise neither of us can back down either. How about we just give you this sort of token costless gesture and give you a pathway to reopening some token trade with us and go from there. I think, um, I think Dan, You've got to start slow. I think Dan mm. Andrews has already said that uh, this uh, potential legislation about the, you know being able to veto the Belt and Road deal is not going to be the best reset of relationships. With well, China right. or with he's, Victoria? He's, he's, <laughs> well, <laughs> prob- both probably ways. both. <laughs> well, certainly with China, he's right, uh, undoubtedly. And frankly, I don't think he's really all that worried about the relationship <laughs> with Victoria. With Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> but, but with China, he's, I think he is absolutely right. It, it, it only amplifies the suggestion that Australia is going to continue taking it up to a player who regards itself as far bigger, far more influential and far more important than us. Mm. Hey, Richard Foster, I'm going to have to let you go. Can I just say thank you so much for uh, playing with us in 2020. It is your last show of the year. Indeed, it's been a great pleasure, guys. It's always always fun having a chat, and I do like your perspectives on this stuff too. It really kicks the conversation. We've loved having you on. Yeah, we love having you on. What we are going to do, though, even though you have uh, said this is your last show for the year, we we will be trying to get you back for a special end-of-year wrap-up of 2020. Oh, look, let me know and I'll pop the kettle on. (laughs) That'd be great. Thanks so much, Richard Foster. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.